met you, my name is Matt Cruz. I'm one of the pastors in the life of our church. The reason I roll in late when I'm preaching is because we're beginning the Lord's Day with the congregation down in Malden, worshiping Jesus there at 10. And then whoever's preaching for the day shoots the three miles up here to be with you. This is a huge grace in my life that I get to uh, talk about Christ and share God's word with you as a preacher some of these Sundays. Before I begin to preach today, I just want to express a very clear apology and some regret in my soul on the way that I began to preach two weeks ago, the last time that I preached to you guys. This was Tropical Storm Sunday, and I said something like, I think a tree branch fell down somewhere in Saugus. When I was saying that, what I was really doing was giving you sarcastic code for, I think anybody that didn't show up to worship Jesus with us here today is weak and soft. Uh, Those words, but much more importantly, the heart behind me choosing to use those words uh, were not holy. They're very legitimate reasons for people to have stayed home in a tropical storm slash potential hurricane on a Sunday morning, and I should have respected that. Uh, Don't forget that as your pastor, I'm allowed to hurt your feelings and offend you. That's part of my call because God does that through his word. But that should always and only be about gospel issues. It should never be about something like that. It just shouldn't be. And so I'm growing up and I'm learning what that looks like and trying to commit my heart not to cause you to stumble because I'm a punk, but instead to cause you to be confronted with the truth of scripture That's my call, not the other. And and of course, so thankful to God for brothers in my life who love me enough and love you enough to know when to talk with me about that and correct me on that. So just receive that from me with true, simple uh, humility. All right, we've been preaching this summer on prayer. It's still summertime until the 21st of September, so we're still rolling through this together. What we've been doing is dealing with all of these like fences, sharp barbed wire fences, obstacles that get in the way of you and I pressing into taking hold of a rich and abundant praying life together. I get to do that again with you today, and I'm hoping to be really super helpful to you because today I am hitting on a fence that all of us run into at certain seasons in our lives, especially in a really young church like Seven Mile Road is, and that is the the fence of struggling with discerning God's will for our lives in prayer. Some of you guys are staring this fence down right now, today, and you've got some serious major life decisions to make. So these are the decisions like, should I go to college? And if I go to college, where should I go? And when I get there, what should I study? Because there's a lot of time and money at stake. What am I supposed to be when I grow up? What career should I be pursuing? And is it time for me to change my careers? I need direction. Should I get married? Who should I marry? Should I marry him? Really? Him? Should I plant a church? Should I definitely not plant a church? If I do plant a church, where should I plant that church? Should I settle down where I am? Should I move somewhere else? Another state, another city, maybe even another country. Is that what God wants me to do? If I do stay here, should I buy a house? Should I rent? Should I move in with my in-laws? Really? 
If I'm older, should I retire? Can I retire? If I retire, what do I do when I retire? Some of you guys are faced with several of these kinds of life decisions right now, all at the same time. And if you're not faced with those questions today, you will be pretty soon. Life is filled with making decisions on those kind of questions. And one of the beautiful things that happens in a soul that has been regenerated or that has come alive to God by his grace is that it longs to have God, the living God, involved in those decisions of our lives. I love it when people come to me and they talk to me and they tell me, I got this big decision looming and we're really praying hard about this. Whenever I hear that, I just go, yes, yes. I love that obedience to God is so important to them, that they have such a desire to please him and to walk in his will. My last semester at Boston University, I had at least 40 conversations with classmates about what they were going to be doing upon graduation from uh, the graduate program there. And I'm telling you that zero, zero of them had God or his grace or his will or his gospel brought up. It's only here, within this redeemed and, you know, pilgrim community of Jesus, among people like you who know that your citizenship is in heaven and that your life on earth is no longer your own. It's only you guys who ask those kind of questions and have those kind of burdens. What is God's will for me? And it is beautiful when your soul gets there. That's grace. Now, one of the things that is not so beautiful is the way that we have been taught to do this, to think about and to pray about discerning God's will for our lives. All right, I think a story will help us here. 20 years ago this month, I showed up on campus as a freshman in college. I call, you can't believe that, right? Because I look like I'm, what, 23? This dude's going, no way. I called my college roommate this week, and I said, yo, we met each other like 20 years ago this week. It could have been tonight. He goes, did you just call me to tell me that? Has no one told you what text messages are for, man? Because that would have been much more appropriate right there. Uh, when you are a college freshman, whew, you don't know jack about the world. Trust me on that. And you definitely don't know what is going to become of your life in the future. You just, you really do not know. And since so many of life's big decisions are still ahead of you, except the one about college, if you love Christ, your ears go boom when you hear someone say they're going to talk about discerning God's will. Now, this undergraduate school that I went to had these chapel services that you had to go to. And this uh, dude rolled in one time, and he was going to speak about discerning the will of God for your life. So naturally, everybody is locked in because we all wanted to know how this thing works. Our tomorrows are ahead of us. Well, the first thing that he did was he told us his story. It was basically that God, the living God, had appeared to him while he was praying in his closet and clearly told him that he was going to be a world-renowned evangelist and he was going to have a ministry to Hollywood stars and professional athletes and other big-time celebrities. 
he was going to run invitation-only Bible studies and preach in big stadiums and have an appearance on Larry King and the whole shebang. Do you know what I'm talking about here? After telling us his story, he then really did tell us that if any of us in that room were not able to articulate with that kind of clarity exactly what it was that God was calling us to with our lives, that we should go straight back to our dorm room. And I mean, not even go to lunch, right? And when you're a freshman in college, you skip breakfast before chapel, so you're like ready to eat something at 11.45. No lunch, straight to your dorm room, straight into your closet, and pray, and don't come out until God has revealed it to you. Now, I cannot think of worse advice to give to a room of about 4,000 teenagers. First of all, it's just wrong to tell me to go into my college dorm room closet, okay? We're talking basketball sneakers and pizza boxes and wet towels and random forest animals, and that was unkind of him to tell me to do that. But much more importantly than that, his theology of God's will and what it meant to seek after it It was just off, and I want to talk for a few seconds about the ways that it was. Okay, one is, can you hear that he was insisting that the will of God for our lives is always something glamorous? Did you feel that? In my four years at this school, no one ever told the dudes, that's what I was listening for, hey, this might be God's will for you. Get a job doing something that you really like and do it really well. Take a wife who you really like and love her really well. Have some kids, raise them really well. Be a part of a church where you grow in the gospel and serve her really well. See, that was never good enough. It was always start a global ministry, plant a mega church, start a billion-dollar corporation. You got to do something huge and sexy that will get you a magazine article. If it's not going to get you an entry in Wikipedia, then you're missing out what God's true will is for you. Can you feel the pressure building right here? God must want my choices about tomorrow to lead to something. Wow! Extra super duper. Wildly crazy. I feel that pressure. Second thing, he was insisting that God's will for your life is this singular and precise, one-shot only will that you are expected to decipher ahead of time and then follow perfectly. So teaching that the will of God is like a labyrinth, you know how those work? This is crazy maze with a million turns and there's only one way out of this thing. And if you don't find that exact way out, you have failed. Or that the will of God for you is like a bullseye. It's got this little mark right there in the middle. And if you don't hit that and you go around it or you hit the wall like me when I play darts, ah, second best, less points for you. I've actually heard this preach that God has a perfect will for your life and a permissive will for your life. And what you're shooting for is not to get stuck with his permissive will because that one's just for loser Christians. You got to find his perfect will. Can you guys feel the pressure continuing to build right here? There's one right decision that we need to make or else we are settling for less than what God's will was for our lives. 
And then third, he was insisting that the will of God is always supernaturally and spectacularly discerned by us. That to figure out God's will for your life, for a decision, means you get a direct message, boom, straight from heaven. So a dream or a vision or an impression or a random Bible verse that's got your name thrown in there, if your parents named you right. Maybe a right lot or the wet fleece or the word that you got at a Sunday night service or the audible voice of Jesus Christ himself or a cloud that looks like a coconut and now you're going to the Fiji Islands on missions because God spoke to you. Whatever it is, we're supposed to go pray really hard and then we're supposed to expect and wait for and discern properly supernatural revelation of some kind of a sort before I can go make a decision in my life and feel really good that it's God's will. His way of saying that was don't leave your prayer closet until God speaks to you. Can you feel the pressure building? I mean, I should be on the floor right now with all of this weight about my future that's been dumped onto me as a 17-year-old. The noose is tightening and the fence around prayer is rising. This is the fence that many of us face when it comes to praying about life's decisions, our tomorrows, God's will for our lives. And we end up what? Frustrated, confused, and really, really anxious. And that anxiousness paralyzes us. And what's supposed to be an enjoyable, fruitful, peaceful, praying life becomes nothing but stress and worry and anxiety. All right, if this is the way that you have been taught to think about God's will for your life, I got wicked, super good news for you today. It don't work that way at all. None of that <clears throat> is how our good Father wants us to think about praying, discerning His will for us. All right, we're going to see that in our text that we've read a couple of times. Let me first do some vocabulary work with you guys. The very first place that we get tripped up in thinking about the will of God is with those words themselves, that phrase. It's one of those phrases that, depending on what scripture you're reading, can have a very different meaning because of the context. You know how words work like this? So I took our kids into Boston and we were on the orange line and there was a track on the seat, one of those tracks with the bridge and the flames and Jesus and Brandon saw that and he said, hey, this is about God. Maybe it was Matthew. What is this? And I said, oh, that's a track. And immediately Callie, who's three years old but has corrected me two million times already in her brief life, says, no, Daddy, that's a track. Because she was standing up, looking out the window as we passed Bunker Hill, looking at the purple line tracks. Now, who's right or wrong over there? I mean, Callie, of course, thinks she's right about everything. She's three. But no, nobody's right or wrong. Different words, different meanings. But you want to get the right context, right? I can stand on a track and I'll be okay, but I don't want to stand on the other track because I'll be in some trouble. This is what happens with us with the will of God. There's at least three embedded meanings to this phrase. Two of them are very prevalent in the scriptures. The third kind of sorta, but let's talk about these. The first is what we would call God's will of decree. When you come across the will of God in Scripture, that is his will of decree, I want you to think past. The past is going to be over here. God's will from the past. This is God's will for all things 
your life included as it was settled in eternity past. This will of God is hidden from you. It's mysterious to us. We're not supposed to discern it or figure it out. It's actually mind-boggling when you begin to think of God being sovereign in this way. And very important for today, this is the will of a good father if he is your father. And so this decree of God is always, always for your good. Ephesians 1 is a great example. In him we have obtained an inheritance in Christ, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things in accordance with the counsel of his will. You feel that? God works out everything, big picture, little details, and everything in between, according to his sovereign will of decree. And that, if he is your father and you are a believer, should give you immense confidence. God has a plan for my life, and it's a good plan, and it's for his glory, and it's for my joy, and it's done, and it's settled, and I don't have to figure it out to receive it. I am going to be the recipient of God's grace all the days of my life, his will of decree. The second way that scripture talks about the will of God is what we call God's will of desire for us. When you hear the will of God in these passages and this context, I want you to think about the present, not the past, the present. This is God's will for you today, and not just today, but every day, all the days, today, tomorrow, all the tomorrows that are coming after that, God has a plan for your life. He has a will for you, and it is obedience to his commands. So this will of God is not hidden from us. It is not a mystery. It is not something that we have to struggle to discern. It has been plainly revealed to us on the pages of Scripture. Here's an example that the Apostle Paul can boldly use the will of God in this way. He just says this, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. In other words, God's will for you, I know it, that you would be holy like he is holy. God has a great plan for your life, and here's his will for you, that you would love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength. God has a wonderful plan for your life. I know what God's will is for you, that you would honor your parents. God has a great plan for your life. I know his will for you, that you would be sexually pure, that you would give generously, that you would love your wife, submit to your husband. Feel this? In other words, God's will of desire is less about which life decisions you're going to make and much, much more about who you are becoming as you make those decisions. Those are the two wills of God that Scripture talks about most plainly and most of the time. But then there is a third way that we think about the will of God, and that is God's will of direction, all right? This is when we start talking about the future over there. 
And this is the will of God that we get super stressed about because we want to know the specific plan of God for the who, what, when, where, how, and why of all of my tomorrows. Lay this thing out for me. Come on. Well, here's what our text is going to say about discerning God's will direction for tomorrow and how it intersects with these other understandings of the will of God. Here it is. Because we can have absolute confidence in God's will of decree, we get set free to radically give ourselves over to God's will of desire today without stressing about his will of direction for our future. All right, let's hit the text. This is from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking here with Jewish Galilean peasants suffering under the oppressive economic system of the Roman Empire, right? So here's why I say that. If you would have rolled into this village or this hill with Jesus and you would have said, yo, let's do some soul care together, and you would have asked people, tell me what your dreams and your fears and your hopes are, the decisions that you're stressed about for tomorrow, they would have said, all right, I'm not used to doing the soul care stuff, but... I'm really worried about feeding my family next year. And I'm really anxious about clothes for my kids and if we're even going to be able to survive. And that's about it. They weren't worried about what college they were going to go to or who they were going to marry or what they were going to be. The things that got them anxious and stressed about God's will for their future, about what was coming tomorrow, was simple sustenance stuff. I don't know if we're going to eat I don't know if a soldier is going to come in here and take everything. I don't know how I'm going to be clothed. And it is into that anxiety about their future that Jesus speaks these beautiful, beautiful words. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them all. Are you not of much more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious about your life, can add a single hour to your span of life? And why are you worried about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the lilies that today are alive and tomorrow are thrown into an oven, will he not much more also clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles... Seek after these things. But your Father in heaven knows that you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. That's our text for today. It's beautiful. It's like, oh, it sets you free. All right, what's the command that was repeated twice in that text to you? What was it? Don't be anxious about life's tomorrows. Now, that's not just a command you can go obey, right? I'm like, great, I would love to not be anxious, but I'm anxious. You've got to give me some help here, Jesus. And in love, he does that for us. 
he gives an anchor. He gives them a reason not to be anxious. He wrote, he roots their obedience to this command to not be anxious about the future in the character of God. He does it with three different examples. He starts with the birds. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't gather into barns. And yet all of their tomorrows go great because their heavenly Father feeds them. In other words, have you ever seen a stressed out bird? I got a worm today, but oh man, what's going to happen tomorrow? And I've been flying over this field, but should I pick that field or maybe somewhere else? What am I going to do about this? No. They just live life because they have a God who is sovereign, who's good, who feeds them. Then he says, look at the, the lilies. He knows they're worried about clothing. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Even Solomon in the greatest robe ever didn't compare to the way that God clothes them. Have you ever seen an anxious, stressed out lily? I got to turn myself right just to catch the sun so that I look good today. How's this going to happen? No, they just, just happens. Their tomorrows take care of themselves. Why? They have a really good sovereign God who is caring for them. Then Jesus gives a third example. This one's in the negative. And he says, you looked at the birds, you looked at the lilies. Now look at the pagans, the ones who do not have God as their father. And he says what? The pagans, the Gentiles, stress about and seek after their tomorrows. In other words, have you ever seen a Gentile stressed out about next week? And you're supposed to go, yeah, I really have. Somebody who doesn't have God as their father has to do this themselves and manufacture their future, and get all their ducks in a row. They're worried about tomorrow. Without the living God, all you've got is fate and fortune, and fate can be an oppressive burden and fortune capricious, and that's all those Gentiles had. But Jesus says what? Not you. Why can we not be anxious? We have a heavenly Father who knows what we need in our tomorrows. To use the will of God language that we're using, it's like Jesus is saying to them, don't be anxious. You have God's will of decree on your side. Can you feel how these doctrines of the providential care of God and the loving fatherhood of God wash anxiety about the future away? We don't have to fret, be anxious, worry about tomorrow. Then Jesus says what? He says, okay, don't spend your energy fretting and striving after and seeking, making sure that everything's going to go right with you tomorrow and all your decisions are going to be the right ones that God was hoping that you would make. But do what instead? Spend yourself striving and seeking, fighting for God's will for you today. Did you hear that in the text? After dismissing anxiousness about tomorrow, where does he end? Here's what you do. Seek first. doesn't mean an order. That means primary, central, first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all this other stuff takes care of itself. In other words, let your primary concern, what is central to your life, the main thing that you are thinking and working and praying about, not be tomorrow. 
and what God's will of direction is for your future. Invest yourself in today that the kingdom of Christ would take root in your soul and your home and this church and this city. Yeah. Seek after obedience to Jesus' commands in the present. All this energy and anxiousness, stop. Now pour that into God's will of desire for today. Being holy like he is holy. All right, I so wish that the chaplain had said that to me when I was 17 and a half years old, 20 years ago, next month, whatever it was. He had me all stressed out about deciphering God's perfect will for my life. I wish he would have just said, I mean, he could have called me out, right? You, weird-looking, tall, skinny kid in the seventh row, I know what God's will is for you. Would have stood up, and he could have just said, man, that you would have such confidence in God's will of decree that you would be set free to chase his will of desire and not be stressed out about who you're going to marry and how many kids you're going to have and where you're going to live and what's going to happen with your life. That would have been awesome. All right, now no one ever says amen at Seven Mile Road. (laughs) But if you did like say amen to that or if you were thinking it but you felt like I can't do it, this place is way too pretty. All right, just say pastor. I got it. Thank you. Ah, I'm set free. I'm not stressed anymore about tomorrow. But I still got some decisions to make about my future here. Are you saying that I just should stop praying about those things completely because it's just going to happen? No, I'm not saying that at all. Man, I want you to pray. I tried to begin today by telling you how beautiful I think it is when I see people praying about God's will of direction for their lives. I just want to make sure that before you go there, that you've got Matthew 6 and the gospel and what I've said so far driven deeply in your souls. If you're not there yet, then don't start thinking about tomorrow. Get that. Once you have that down, now the fences are away. Now the anxiety is gone. Now you can begin to pray rightly about discerning God's will for your life. All right, when you go to do that and the fences are down and you step in, here's some things I want you to just keep in mind as you do that. First is this. Don't pray feeling like God's will for you has to come through some mystical revelation of his that you discerned properly, okay? Absolutely, there are times when God in his grace communicates really clearly to people about his will for a specific direction in his lives. He's done it for many of you. It's a glorious thing when he does. Uh, No one is pretending that you were just hearing voices. He can do that and has done that throughout redemptive history and continues to do it, especially those that he is calling to really suffer for his name. In his grace, he speaks clearly and says, yes, I'm, I'm calling you to this so that you know, so you don't buckle. But I want you to know that that is not the norm And I don't want you thinking that you have to experience or manufacture that thing. It is okay for you to make decisions without feeling like you have received a verdict from on high. I heard this really funny story, read about this guy who asked this really cute girl out. And she told him that she prayed about it, and the Holy Spirit told her, no. And the dude was just like, oh, that was like boom, boom. The cute girl rejected me. And so did the Holy Spirit. And that was just like, oh, wow. 
Right? That's not what we're shooting for here. We do not need supernatural defense, revelation for every decision that we make. Okay? She could have just said, you're a goofball. I'm not going out with you. Great. I want you to feel free to know that it's fine for you to say to me that, look, I've sought counsel about this decision. There's nothing in Scripture that says that doing this with my life or marrying this person or going to this school would be a clear violation of God's revealed will of desire. I got a passion for this. I got affections for it. It's something that I want to do. I think I'd be great at it. I think this is going to be really good. And I've been praying, and God has given me some sweet times of calling or burden or peace or clarity. And I haven't seen a cloud or anything crazy, but I'm going to go for it. Is that okay? To all that I say, yes, that's great. Let the word, let community and the spirit free you to just make some decisions about your life. That's how Seven Mile Road got started. I know some of my brothers just knew, boom, Jesus, right there, robe and everything, the blue sash. Here's what I want you to do. This wasn't how it rolled with us. We had an opportunity to plant a church. When I heard about the idea, I was like, you can do that? That would be great to do that. Why aren't we doing that? Studied a little bit about it, sought counsel, looked at how I was wired. Maybe it's something I would be thrive at. Remembered to talk with Grace about this since this would change everything about our marriage. The scriptures were just jumping out at me about gospel coming to lost cultures and bringing great change. I, I never heard a voice or got a letter in the mail but said, all right, let's go for this. And God has blessed it. I want you to feel free to step into your future knowing that God is for you. And if it's not disobedience, and if you're using all of these mechanisms for discerning his will, it'd be great. Second thing. I do not want you to ever feel like there's one right answer to my future and I just have to nail that thing down or I'm in serious trouble. Don't think in terms of right or wrong or perfect or permissive, okay? There's a lots of things you could go and make a decision about. Sometimes either way, it's going to be great. So you could go to Gordon College or Endicott College and God could be pleased with that. I'm sorry, to go to Endicott would be a wicked sin, right? You could go to uh, Africa, or you could stay in Boston, and in both places you could serve Jesus, love his people, love his mission, love your family, thrive. You could major in engineering or in English. They could both be really cool. Probably got to be one or the other, engineering, English, but you know what I mean. You could even marry two different people, and it could work out well. I don't mean two different, I don't mean two different people at the same time. Or back to back. I mean, this pressure that there's only one human being on this planet out of five billion of us that could possibly be a good, healthy, awesome husband or wife to you. Just get free from the bullseye approach to the will of God. There's not one correct, definite, right option. And most importantly on this, if you're living your life under the shadow that you feel like I've made the wrong choice sometime back there, and now I'm under a death sentence because my arrow didn't strike the bullseye and I can't find my way out of this labyrinth. Man, just be freed from that. Wherever you're at, God's will of decree is happening with you now for your good, for his glory. Just keep on pressing on, concerned about the present. You didn't make a, a wrong choice. Maybe an unwise choice. Maybe you'll make better choices. But it's not over for you because you've missed your time in the closet with God.
And then last one, please don't feel like God's will for you has to be the sexiest and the most glamorous of the possible options that are before you. Okay, again, in his wisdom, God is going to have some of you guys do some amazingly broad and deep influential things with your life. Some of you guys may end up on Wikipedia. I'll just be like, I'm bookmarking that thing. I know that person. I hung out with them. Wow. Praise God if he calls you to something glamorous. And also watch out for he does because that means that he has you lined up for some serious difficulty and suffering. But most of us, many of us, God's will of direction for our lives is to just live simple and quiet and holy lives, doing things that we enjoy to do, loving our immediate family, whatever that looks like, being a big part of seeing a local church thriving. It doesn't have to be something that gets you on Larry King. God's will for you can just be something simple and beautiful. Don't forget that when we stand before Jesus, the guys in Wikipedia do not get to the head of the line, right? You know this. We will not be judged on how well we did with God's will of direction for our lives. It's his will of desire that he's going to be looking for. Did you love your kids? Did you serve at your church? Did you give generously? Did you fight sexual sin? Were you humble? This is God's will for you. You walk in that, and tomorrow just takes care of itself. It really does. I want you to just let the Holy Spirit come, because um, we do believe in that. I don't mean to be pretending that we're all rational here, because he'll come visit you in his word right now and make his application to your soul of whatever you're struggling with the most in this, okay? So some of you guys struggle the most with God's will of decree. You just don't feel like God could love you or be your father. I want you to just believe the gospel with me today and know beyond the shadow of doubt if you have repented of your sins and Christ has changed everything in your soul, God's will of decree for you is settled and it's for your good and you can rest in that. Some of you guys are struggling with God's will of desire and you are failing to be obedient to the clear mandates of Scripture. Man, I would challenge you not to make another decision about your life. Don't even pick out what you're having for lunch later. Don't even go to the bathroom because we got six of them, and that can be a hard decision in this place. Hold it until you get right with God, until you're able to say right now, today in the present, I can say that my life is about first, central, primary, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Don't be wasting any time on God's will of direction for tomorrow if you're not right with him today. Repent of your sins. Receive his grace. Start to walk in that newness of life, obedient to his will for you for today. And then lastly, a bunch of you guys are right at some places with the will of direction for me. And ooh, which way is this going to go? I want you to rest in the fact that God has settled good plans for you. I want you to be in community here I want you to be in scripture. I want you to cry out to God for his grace. And then I set you free to go make a decision to the glory of God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for breaking things down simple for us. That birds don't stress and lilies don't stress. And those who have you don't have to stress. 
I pray that more than anything, you would turn the heart of this room right now. There's enough people in here to do so much good for your glory. If we would just get serious about your will for today, your clear and revealed will for our holiness that's central to our pursuit today would be the kingdom of Christ and his righteousness. And I pray for every child, every teenager, every college student, every adult, every senior citizen, every one of us that still has will of direction, questions looming for our future. Jesus, by your spirit, would you be kind to us? Would you come alongside us? Would you give us peace? Would you give us burdens and clarity on making these decisions? And would you set us free from anxiety and pressure to love God, do as we please, and watch him come for great joy to our lives? Hear these prayers by your spirit, I pray. Come and answer. Amen. Amen.